Back in January when we had time of prayer and fasting, I had started to hear some rumblings at the end of last year of people that were trying to find dates and times to talk about Jesus coming back. And it's interesting that throughout history there have been moments where people have tried to take the word of God and whether they were using numerology or other things like this, they were trying to prove that they had an exact timing for the return of the Lord. And there are many prophetic signs that are being fulfilled in front of our very eyes. Don't get discouraged and think, well, I have to discard all that because now somebody has named or put a date out there. And so because of that, this cannot be valid. I want you to know that God has a valid time that he intends to bring his will upon this earth. And we're going to study and talk a little bit about that. Some of you have read or seen things, or maybe you've been up on the internet and you've done some of your own study and saw that some folks are saying that September 23rd, which is a Wednesday, and by the way, we will have church that night. So, hey, if it's going to be the rapture, might as well be the right place to go. Um, September, we will have an usher out in the hallway so that if the dead in Christ rise first, he can holler at us and we can all get up on the pews and jump. So it's a good thing being across the street from a cemetery. <laughs> September 23rd of 2015. Now it's interesting on the Jewish calendar, this is the day of atonement. And so as Jews all across the world, they will be stopping to take time. They will be fasting and prayer and repentance that will be going on. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 29. Leviticus 16 and verse 29. Now, another thing to know is the Jewish calendar has been going on for a long time. We are under the Gregorian calendar, so our dates that we have right now of 2015 is a time period that is set up after Christ was risen from the dead. So that has been 2,000, 15-some years since Jesus was raised from the dead. But in the Jewish calendar, the time frame is the year 5,776. So take a look here in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29 and 30. This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your soul and do no work at that time excuse me, at that, uh, at all, whether a native or your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Now, the 10th of that particular time period is called the 10th of Tishri. And so if you'll stay in the book of Leviticus and go just a couple pages back, we're going to tie this together in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 26. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. 
Now, a lot of times people may not think of the word the Day of Atonement, but you maybe are more familiar with a more modern term called Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur also means Day of Atonement. Now, it's interesting, this particular offering that would go on, that they would do at the temple, and as people would come together, it was only to deal with their sins between God and them. Nothing to do with sins with our fellow man or any other thing like this. It was all about a repentance and a relationship with God. Now, the cool part is for all of us, Jesus Christ was the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. A blood sacrifice that paid for the sins of all mankind. So that when he died and rose again and paid that price on the cross, he became our atonement. This is why we make much for the blood of Jesus. This is why we take that time to honor the Lord and to give him praise. Now, for the Jews, this is an important time on their calendar. And over in Israel, when this comes about, there'll be a lot of celebrating, there'll be a lot of different things that take place, but on this particular day, there will be a time of prayer and fasting. Now, it's interesting, in our same month of September on the 28th, it will also be for the Jews the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles lasts for seven days. They have just come through a time on this uh, the date that we have mentioned about the Day of Atonement, they've just come through a time of prayer and fasting and calling out before God. And now the Lord says, I want you to celebrate and taste the goodness of God. And what they would do at this Feast of Tabernacles is when everything was finished up at the end of the seventh day, they would all bring a citrus offering before the Lord. When the children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt, of course, there was nothing out in the desert for them when it came to citrus. When they came into the promised land, here were all these vegetables. Here were all these fruit trees. Here was everything because God promised it would be a land flowing with milk and honey. So after they had come through this time of offering before God and spending that time on the Day of Atonement, they would also take time for the Feast of Tabernacles. And to remember that they had lived in the desert in tents, they would set up for themselves a tent outside their house. No matter where they lived, they would take and have tabernacles that would be out front, and for those seven days, they would stay in the tabernacle. God was saying to them, I never want you to forget that I brought you out of bondage. And I want you to know, when you were in sin, and God saved you and set you free, that's a moment for each of us to celebrate that our God has set us free. Amen? If he's been setting you free every day since then, let me hear a nice amen. Here was this way that the Jews could take and put a practical event into their calendars and say, let's never forget God took us out of slavery. Now, there is in this same chapter, you don't have to turn to it, but in this 23rd chapter and verse 34, I want to just read this verse to you. And the Bible says, speak to the children of Israel saying, the 15th day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. I just want to be able to show you that for sure it's in the word of God. It is something there for us to remember. Now, why don't we keep all the feasts? Why don't we do the same things that they did in the Old Testament? Because Christ fulfilled the law. 
We study the whole Word of God. We thank God for the Old Testament. We don't just write it off. I've seen people in my life that say, you know, we never read the Old Testament because we're the New Testament church. Folks, you and I as believers are the New Testament church. Praise the Lord for that. But our history is tied back with the Jews. Our history is tied all the way back to Adam and Eve. And that's why we study the whole Word of God. Hallelujah. So, some modern scholars today think that sometime between the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles that Jesus will come. And here's some other reasons why that ties together in their minds as they study. Now, some say it'll actually be on that uh, particular day, and some will say, well, no, it's going to be in between that time period. I got to tell you, all I know is this. Here's some interesting things happening in the natural. On September 15th, the United Nations will have its 70th session, and as they come together in that opening session, they will be talking about the Palestinian people and the Palestinian folks that declare they want to take over the Holy Land. And they have already been doing things. If you remember earlier this year, they got the Roman Catholic Church, they got the Pope to acknowledge that the Palestinian people are a nation. And they're pushing to have Israel divided, especially to have Jerusalem divided, that, keep, that would keep the Jews away from the Wailing Wall and would keep them away from the mosque that they have built right where the temple site is. Now, because of that going on, we also understand the history of the Jews, that there have been 40 complete jubilee cycles since Jesus was risen from the dead. A jubilee cycle was 49 years that would go on, and then in that 50th year, a jubilee would be declared. During a jubilee, all your debts, everything else was wiped away, and you were given a brand new start. Boy, the state of Illinois could use that, couldn't they? Here was what was going on because they knew that debt was a burden that people could not bear and be able to fully understand and handle. So remember, in the Jewish relationship with God, certain numbers mean certain things. And there was a place of completeness that would happen with the number 40. Jesus was in the wilderness tempted by the devil for 40 days. If you remember with Noah, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. There were certain things that went on, and so that number jumps out. So a lot of prophecy scholars are looking, saying, there's something about this with 40 being completed. Now it carries over here again that the jubilees that have gone on, this 50-year cycle that would take place, the jubilees, there has actually been 70 jubilees since Israel became a nation and had that moment with God as he spoke to Abraham. So, 70 also is a place of completeness. Scripture even talks about age-wise, and it says that God speaks that he would promise you that you would have 70 years of life here upon the earth. Now, thank God for more than 70 years. Amen? Pauline, you still going? You're past 70. Planning to stick around for a while? Well, there you go. So, if God's been good to Pauline, keeping her around, he can be good to you too. She's just a young spring chicken, as my grandmother would say. What does 70 do? It reminds us also of a time period of completion. Now, knowing this in the time period and seeing what's going on in the world, it's interesting to note 
that on this particular day in uh, September, there will be events happening in Washington, D.C. that the Pope is planning to come and visit the president. He will be in the White House, actually, on September 23rd. Now, why is that in particular very important? Because there is pressure upon the United States to turn our back on Israel. We've already made deals with this whole Iranian situation, with us trying to help them be able to build a bomb, or some say not to build a bomb, or all these kind of confusing messages. There's some strange things happening. And at times, as this past few presidents we've had, they have put pressure on Israel. At times they were told that if you don't give away land for peace, we're not going to support you. That goes all the way back to Bush number one when he was in office. You know, it looked like he was a shoe-in for the re-election that he was up with after they had just completed Gulf War number one. And yet, if you remember, at that point in history, Bush went to Israel and said, we have some loans that we've given to you, and we're calling in all the loans right now. If you don't pay back everything you owe us, we will not support you. You know what? God's word promises and says those nations that bless Israel will be blessed. After President Bush did that, he lost the election. It's interesting to see how other presidents have made decisions and what has gone on, and even how our current administration is dealing with Israel. The first time in Obama's first term, when Israel came for a visit, if you remember, the Prime Minister of Israel had to go through the back door of the White House. They didn't even give him a state greeting. And uh, there's some strange things that are going on with our relationship with Israel. I want you to know that as people, that's part of the reason we fly the Jewish flag out front, the Israeli flag, is because God says those who bless my children will be blessed. And even though most Jews today do not recognize Jesus as Savior and Lord, when we are taken out, when the church of Jesus Christ is raptured off of this earth, there will be a seven-year period of time that the Jews will begin to recognize Jesus as Savior. There'll be massive revival that will hit all over the world, but especially in Israel, and they will declare that he is Yeshua HaMashiach. He is the son of the living God. So hallelujah for what's ahead of us. How many of you have ever heard the word CERN, C-E-R-N? Anybody heard that? One, two, three, four, five. Okay. It's not something that everybody even knows about. But over the past couple decades, over in France and Switzerland, there is an area called CERN, Switzerland. And they are in the midst of this huge physics project that they're doing right now that's called a Hadron Collider. Hadron, H-A-D-R-O-N. A Hadron Collider. And what is done is in this physics relationship, they have decided that they want to prove the Big Bang Theory of evolution. And nations all over the world have given money into this, and it's taken years and years to build. This thing is a round circle that's underground. It's 17 miles long. It's 300 feet underground. It's right on the border between France and Switzerland. Now, what has this got to do with anything? Well, they're going to be firing up the collider on September 23rd. 
Now, here's several things going on. In this collider, I have to tell you, it may not make much sense what I'm going to explain to you here, but they're doing several different things. They're trying to take matter and antimatter, and they're trying to go at high speeds to slam these things together because they want to recreate what took place at the Big Bang. We know that the Bible says, in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and it was. But science with evolution has tried to say for years that things just happened by chance. And so their whole idea of this thing is to see if they can change the destiny and the future of the world. Now this is going to sound a little bit fanatical or just bizarre, but hear me out. They actually believe that they can go ahead and transport people in time. And as nations, we've been supporting this financially for years. It's actually been fired up before, only for a few short moments. And the last time that it was fired up was April 25th of 2015, and that's when the earthquake hit over in Nepal, India. And uh, great devastation. There were 7,000 people that were killed in that earthquake. This thing is underground. It's huge with the way the speed is going to be happening because there are four different colliders that are a part of this whole unit that are underground. And these uh, separated atoms, these pieces of matter and antimatter, will be going past the speed of light through these colliders, slamming into each other with the hopes that they will make inside of this huge tube and relationship underground they will make the experience of what happened to open a portal so that they can go back in future, they can go back in time, they can go back and correct the errors of mankind. Here's the other weird thing right outside the place. There is a huge statue of the Hindu god Shiva. Now, if you've ever studied anything in school and you know that Shiva is this Indian fixture that has probably about six different arms. So if you've ever saw any old movie that had something like this that was going up and down. Well, the interesting reason they chose this was Shiva as an idol was a three-part being. And it represented destruction, pres uh, preservation, and creation. And so outside of this huge scientific, have you ever noticed in science how they laugh at us because we believe in a divine being? And they have this huge brass idol outside of this collider relationship in CERN, Switzerland. And as they do this, they're asking that this Hindu God would give them the power to be able to separate everything that we have here on this earth and that they, because of their scientific abilities, know how to go back and change history to make us a better people. Boy, that's humanism run wild. That is mankind saying, I am smarter than God. Now, all I can tell you is this is taking place all at the same time. Is it by chance? Some of you who went and saw the Disney movie Tomorrowland, if you remember on their time machine that they had, it was dated for September 15th for that time machine to go on and that it would change the history that would go on on September 23rd. So... If you haven't seen the movie, it was a, a 
okay movie. It wasn't anything fantastic. But uh, if it comes out on DVD and you want to check it out, it'll just be something else. Because the word amongst scientists is that something fantastic will happen on this time and that they will find ways to make mankind a better place for all of us. They've even got people that do a dance three times a day in this collider, and they have learned it. You can Google it, you can go up and see this, and they actually do scientists that are doing this strange dance to the god Shiva. Aren't you glad we serve the real living God? And yet, do you know billions of your tax dollars have been given to this project? It's been years in the making, and some of the brightest, most important people in science circles are working on this over in CERN, Switzerland. This afternoon, you can check it out. Don't Google it on your phone right now. Stay with me, all right? I gotta check CERN, C-E-R-N. I just want you to stay with me on this because I wanted to give you this much detail on it because it's important to know the signs of the time. Could Jesus come back on the 23rd? Absolutely. But Jesus could come back also today. Things are ready within this earth of ours. Let's go in the New Testament to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. See, while the world is looking for answers and is so confused on so many things, God makes it so clear and so plain in his word that he wants to save you. He wants to fill you with power. He wants to equip you so that you can handle every challenge that shows up in this world. And in Ephesians chapter 6, take a look down at verse 12. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the Bible says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I want you to realize that the enemy would love to deceive people not to put their eyes on Jesus. The enemy would love to use fear to scare people. Throughout the years, there have been people in Christian circles that have talked about the return of Jesus, and they've put dates all together. They've told people that they had to do this and they had to do that, and then those dates came and went, and Jesus hadn't come. Uh, you know, here's something for you. This is just how I think. I want the Lord to return. But if he gives me another day, it means I've got another opportunity to share the good news with somebody and get them born again. Let's take as many people to heaven as we can. Years ago, there was a Christian comedian, and he talked about to make sure you spend a lot of time with unsaved people, because when the rapture happens, you could grab onto two of them, carry them up in the air, and say, now accept Christ, or I'm dropping you. <laughs> but we know the Bible says that when he comes, it'll be in the twinkling of an eye, or an atomic second, that there will be that moment that we are here, and then we are gone. Aren't you glad you don't have to work and try to earn your salvation? Your salvation comes from a living relationship with Christ. You can't earn it or it wouldn't be grace. It is God saving and reaching out to us when we as human beings let him down and mess up all the time. But this is important to remember. This is not a flesh and blood moment. Don't just sit back and get mad at whoever our president is. Okay? It's his fault. It's his fault that this is going on. Folks, this is not a president's fault. 
This is sin that is trying to bring the destruction of the world, and we have a God who has conquered sin on the cross. It'll make it a whole lot easier for you to pray for different people, especially those ones you get mad at. Because you know, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, or whether you are an independent, or whatever your place is, please know this, it's wonderful to have party relationships but it really doesn't matter who's in office because God will use whoever is there if the people of God will pray. I, I'm probably just offended some of you who are real staunch in your political situations, but I'm not trying to insult that man or woman that you care and think should be the next leader of the world. I just want you to know that when people choose, just like Israel at one point said they didn't want a theocracy to follow after God, they wanted to have a king so they could be like all the other nations, God let them have what they wanted. But God can turn the hearts of the kings. And we as a nation have made choices through the years, whoever our president is, whatever the political party, and sometimes it doesn't really ever look like there's too much difference between any of them. But God can do something if the people of God will pray. Now, let's go back to Matthew chapter 24. It's important to know how to pray in these days. There are people out there pretend that they have all kinds of insight that will not use scripture to back out their ideas. There are people that will tell you that we have to go through the tribulation. There will be no rapture. They said, look, uh, Noah went through the flood and because he did, God provided and took care of him. Well, that's true. That was Old Testament. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through the fiery furnace. You know, God didn't rescue them out of that. But yet we have in the New Testament a Savior who died on the cross, who later on through the apostles said, God has not appointed you to wrath. He has not appointed you to the great tribulation. But you see, much of the world today that we are living in is under great religious persecution. You're seeing some of it on the news with these people from Syria that have been over in Budapest, in Hungary. Have you watched that? They're trying to get to different countries because they are fleeing their nation. These people are Christians. That's never mentioned on the news broadcast. Okay? It makes it sound like these are all Muslims. These people are Christian Syrian people that are trying to leave their land because they're under such great persecution. So Germany and other places, you know, we said that we'd finally take 2,000 of them. These are people that have been being tortured because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And they've been riding on boats. They've been trying to flee. They've been going from country to country to find a place to have a new beginning. There is great persecution in the earth against the church of Jesus Christ. We've not had much of it here within our country. Lately, we've seen little bits and pieces of our religious freedom taken away. But that's because at one time, we were the majority in this nation. And we enjoyed great liberties as believers. But today we have generations that have grown up with no relationship with God. That's why Jesus told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We've got to make sure that our young, our old, that everyone knows the saving power of Jesus Christ. That can enjoy the presence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That can experience the good things of God. Because evil is trying to destroy this earth. But you need to know this, God has a plan. Would you say that with me? God has a plan. Now, take a look in Matthew chapter 24, 
and we're going to start at verse 42 through 44. Matthew 24, verse 42 through 44. Jesus is talking. He says, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Do you know that if Scripture said that Jesus is going to come back July 3rd of 2016, there would be some people who are last-minute people, and they would do something like this. Okay, I got it on my calendar. On the 15th, I'm going to become a Christian. The day before, I'm going to become a Christian. I'll wait. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to, you see, when we get so earthly-minded, we forget that God has a superior plan. When all you've known is earthly pleasures, people will sit back and say, well, then if Jesus is coming on this date, I'll wait till an hour before to get right with God. They're missing the whole point of it. To live for God is a glorious thing. It's not bondage. It is liberty. And people are missing it in the natural. They're trying to take and look at it as a deadline here. This is why Jesus has not told us the exact time that he would come back. But he does say, watch and be ready. Well, that's not fair. That means he could come at any time. Amen. You know what? Have you ever given, when your children were growing up, did you ever give them a job to do? And then you snuck back in to check on them to see if they were doing it? If they were doing the job or if they were being lazy? I love that part about being a dad. Give them a job. They would start out working really good while you're there, and then you'd go in the other room, and then they would sort of peter off a little bit, you know. And then you'd jump out from around the corner. Are you doing the job? Yes. I was taking a break. No breaks. Ask any of the teenagers that work here at the church for me if I ever do that to them. Glory to God. Why are you sitting down? Get up and get to work. But I've been working for 10 hours. Stop it. You don't need a break. No, I don't. Nine hours, and then I do that. See, if we were given a time, we would have the tendency to try to play it to our advantage. And living for Christ, you know this, that it's not about you, it's about him. So he says here, watch, prepare, give attention. He says, be ready, live for God each day. We don't know the exact timing of the rapture. Now, some people say the rapture and the second coming are at the same time, that you have to go through the tribulation and then you'll be raptured. Well, stay in this same chapter. We're going to keep going on here and uh, drop down, I should say, go right above it to verse 36 through 39. Same chapter, verse 36. But of the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. 
and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Our world today is just doing its normal thing. We have taken a redefined marriage. We've taken now and put a county clerk in jail because she wouldn't give license out to same-sex couples. We have told people that if they need to wear their burqa while they're working, we can't do anything about it. So it's legal for you to wear a burqa, but we can't allow a clerk to not give out a marriage license to homosexuals. We've got all these tipsy, crazy, upside-down things going on in our world, and yet everybody seems to just keep living their life. That's the way it was with Noah. Noah was building that ark out in the desert. He said, it's going to rain. They said, what's rain? Because back then it had never rained upon the face of the earth. If you go back in Genesis, you read it. We've talked this before, that every night there would be a mist that came up from the ground and watered everything. So as Noah would say, you need to repent of your sins, and the people would not repent. The ark was completed. I know there's been some remakes of some movies. Listen, never let Hollywood define the word of God to you. Okay, they want special effects whether it matches the Bible or not. So there's been some that have been out there that, you know, it's pouring down rain and they're trying to get the animals on the ark. Everybody was in the ark. The door was shut by the hand of God before a sprinkle came down. And there wasn't people who were supposed to be on the ark that, that weren't there, or they were in town. What was one of those last goofy movies that was out there? That Noah had an adoptive son. Baloney! Is it in the word of God? No. Hollywood, leave us alone. Either do what the word says, or tr don't make another movie that's stupid. Because it confuses Christians that don't read their Bible. You read the word, you're going to be all right. This one says that it's going to be just like the days of Noah. People just were living their life, and all of a sudden, boom, it's raining. The ark is floating, and they're all looking and saying, what was that thing Noah said? What's this water coming down from the sky? They had a chance to repent, and they didn't. Now, we love a God of a second chance. That's what grace is all about. We love how he forgives and restores. But there will be a day, that's what the seven years of tribulation is all about. There will be a day that God says, judgment begins. You all had your chance. Because have you ever been around people that they always say something like this? It's not fair. It's not fair. Look what they've got. It's not fair. We have that today in our world with class envy. People looking and saying, it's not fair that they have health insurance. They should pay for mine. It's not fair that they have a car. I should get one. It's not fair they have a phone. I need a phone. It's not fair they have this. I, I, I should get everything. Those are the spoiled brats that should have been spanked as children. But, of course, spanking was illegal. Just let me tell you, it wasn't in my home. It wasn't in my home growing up either. My mother knew how to hand out the Board of Education on the seat of knowledge. <laughs> when everybody started wearing blue jeans, I thought that was my cure. Till my mother said, pull your pants down. 
Praise the Lord. Thank God I had good parents. Here's the idea. People say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. So how can you say we have a rapture? Well, the word rapture itself is a Latin word. Okay, the Latin word, because remember, much of the church at times was under the leadership of the Roman Catholic Church, and they used Latin. But we know that in the New Testament, that was written in Greek, and we know the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So at one point in the church history, the word rapture was actually the word rapturo, R-A-P-T-U-R-O. And it literally meant caught up. Rapture means caught up. So the Greek word that was in the New Testament was the word harpazio. Harpazio. Now, why do we use rapture? Because it's just more popular. That's all. I mean, we could say the great catching up and then the second coming. But through church history, they just adapted the idea of the word rapture. So when folks say to you, well, it's not in the Bible, it is. You just have to look it up, and in the Hebrew, it was the word harpazio. Harpazio means this. You know how the Greek words just sort of seem to define things for us? It means to seize by force or to snatch up. Hallelujah. Jesus is going to snatch you up. Don't get hung up on that word rapture. As I mentioned, you'll be able to find the other. If you're doing any kind of New Testament study in the Greek, you'll see it harpazio. Let's leave the book of Matthew just for a moment. Over the next two Sundays after this, we're going to be touching on all of that. I promise it will all make sense for you. This is just sort of an intro today. But look with me, if you would, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You'll all be going home today looking up CERN and all these kind of things. Looking up Harpazio. That's good. I love it. Look it up. It's good to study the word. Don't just believe me. Study it and find it out for your own heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, take a look at verse 50 through 58. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 through 58. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Another translation says we will not all die prematurely because there was great fear back at this time in Scripture that people had missed the rapture or maybe it wasn't even coming. And so when a person would die before the Lord came back, they would call it they were asleep. They had fallen asleep, okay? But they were dead, but they were not just sleeping. They shall not all die prematurely, but we shall all be changed, Verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that was written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, or the grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the the strength of sin is in the law. 
But thanks be to God who gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The trumpet call is not to be confused within the book of Revelation when they talk about the seven trumpets. That's something completely different. That'll be going on during the tribulation. But in verse 52 here, as it speaks, it says, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. The calling the living to meet the Lord in the air happens with the trumpet. So 52 is very clear on that. There's some will say, well, how do we know the dead in Christ, the bodies that are in the grave, what's going to happen to them? The Bible tells us, we'll look up another verse here in 1 Thessalonians is where we're going to go next. It talks about there being a shout. There will be a shout that will come from heaven and the dead in Christ shall be raised. Now, when a person dies, they either go to heaven or hell. But their bodies lay in the grave. Or if they have been cremated or whatever was done with their remains, they are left here upon this earth. Because God is concerned about every, every part of us, spirit, soul, and body. Whatever was left of your body, that corruption is going to be made incorruption. Hallelujah. So whether it's ashes or whether it is rotting bones in a casket, it's going to be transformed. Now the cool part for everybody that's alive and that's living here on this earth, you and I are living in this body right now, but God's going to change it. It's going to be transformed. You know, like I said, this talks about it happening in the twinkling of an eye in an atomic second. But I want you to know, wouldn't it be something, have you ever thought about this part, if you could do it in slow motion? You know, on our cameras, if you ever look, you've got a, a thing where you can put it on slow-mo and you take a picture and everybody's jumping around at first and then, oh, uh, yeah. they're moving real slow with everything that's out there. And then it zips together at the end. I would love for the rapture to be in slow-mo. Can you imagine? Let's say there was something wrong with your body. Let's say that you had something wrong with your foot or with your arm, or let's say that you were missing some fingers on your hand, if there was some kind of a birth defect or anything else that's there. The scripture says that we shall be transformed. I want you to know that moment that Jesus sounds the trumpet blast for all that are alive, you are going to be transformed. It wouldn't have been wild if you were missing some fingers, if you'd been in war and you lost some parts of your body. All of a sudden, boom, everything is made whole. All these soldiers that are coming home from Iraq and from the things that were going on with Iran and all the other fights that are going on in Afghanistan that are having to use prosthetics and all the rest right now, they're going to be transformed. Their fake leg is going to pop off. That's what I'd like to see slow-mo. Boom, there goes that thing. Boop, brand new leg made whole. The incorruption must put uh, I'm sorry, the corruption must put on incorruption. So let's do that. You're probably already over there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 4 starting at verse 16 and 17. And the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout 
and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. There's the caught up, okay? There's the rapture. There is that harpazio together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. The shout will be for the dead bodies. Glory to God. Again, that slow-mo would be so cool being across the street from the cemetery. All of a sudden, everything coming up through the ground, breaking open. Hallelujah. It'd be better than any movie you ever saw like that. Whatever's left. And I don't care if you've been buried at sea and all the fish ate your body. And they all left deposits of you all over the floor. It's going to be miraculously put back together. I had a kid ask me that one day after church. Pastor, if I die at sea and a shark eats part of me and a whale eats part of me, and then I go through their system and get, well, I won't say what they said, but, you know, through the system. And I'm on the bottom of the ocean floor and the rapture happens. What happens to me? You know what? God knows where every molecule is. He put it here in the first place and he can put it all together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's so much we could do and we're just starting it today. I'm just hoping to wet your whistle with this. The trumpet will call the living and we will meet the Lord. Did you catch that part in the air? It's important to know as we do other study the next week here we get together when Jesus comes back the second coming he touches down on the earth. There's nothing here that says he's touching down. It's saying we will go to meet him in the air. We will be with the Lord during the seven years of tribulation that happen here upon the earth. There will be a judgment going on of the nations that have turned away from Israel and all the nations of the world will be focused in on this little teeny tiny portion of land. But the good news is at the end of the seven years, the Bible speaks how that we'll all be mounted up with the Lord on white horses. Now, just in case, I need to say this. Several years ago, I had a lady say to me, horses scare me. I don't know if I want to come back with the Lord. Stop it. There is no fear in heaven. But, you know, a horse bit me one time. There'll be no biting in heaven. You don't get to say to Jesus, I'm not coming back with you. You're part of the army of God. And what will happen is at that moment, at the end of the seven years of tribulation, when everybody is attacking with full force toward Israel, God's going to come on the scene and boom. Because before that, there will be complete darkness upon the face of the earth. And the Lord shall appear, and it will be a light that will come out of complete darkness, and you're going to be with him. And as he comes and you are riding with him on these horses, bringing the final judgment against the nations of the world, it will be glorious. So when folks tell you, well, you can't, you know, the rapture isn't going to happen beforehand. You're going to have to go through the tribulation. All I can say is if you want to say, if you want to stay here, go ahead. Now, it's not like you're going to be able to. When the rapture happens, you're going to be with Jesus. He's not going to look and say, you know what, you're believing wrong, so I'm going to let you stay. There will be a moment that they stand in the presence of God with all of you. 
Well, pastor, what if you're wrong? What if you're wrong about this and we have to go through? What if we have to go halfway through the tribulation? Because there's Bible teachers that say that. We have to go through the first three and a half years and then the rapture will happen. All I can tell you is this. The children of Israel were in the wilderness and they had nothing. And God sent them quail. God sent them manna. God found a rock that they could hit that brought water out of it. God will take care of you. Can I get an amen? God will take care of you. Next Sunday, we'll go into this more, and I just want you to be able to have such assurance on your heart that if Jesus comes back on the 23rd, you're ready. Man, if anything else, like I said, we'll have in church that night. It's Wednesday. Yeah, but will he come back on Central Time or East Coast Time? <laughs> Pastor Mastin sent me a private note uh, from Malawi this week, and I sent him my notes that I'd put together about this because he wanted to teach about the rapture. And... Uh, he said, you know, my resources are sort of limited here, and I just sent him all my notes that I had written up and put together. And he said, so don't you think it would be fun if the Lord came on the earth, and, or I should say, the Lord came with the rapture, and he did it in different time zones. He said, because we would go before you. I wrote him back and I said, just because you're seven hours ahead doesn't mean you have more favor. <laughs> Let's stand together. Worship team, if you'd come. Our world tries to come up with crazy things. Isn't it funny? They can worship a Hindu god, and yet we tell them that there's a god of creation, and they look at us like we're all nuts. But he's more than enough. Today, if you're facing a problem or a challenge, I want you to know Jesus can solve it. If you're serving God, even if you have sinned and made huge mistakes in your life, God can give you a brand new beginning. That's what God's all about. That's what the cross is all about, a new beginning in Christ. And this is Communion Sunday. We've gone a little bit over time-wise here, but I, I just believe we need to take a moment and pray and just get our hearts right before the Lord. The Word talks about that even before we receive communion, that we need to have our hearts right. And if people have been pushing you, people have been hurting you, taking advantage of you, I just want to encourage you to forgive them. Forgive them and let it go. Let's start thinking how we can share our faith and get people saved. Will you join me in prayer? Just close your eyes. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to ask him into your heart right now. If you need to ask him for forgiveness of your sin, if there's been something going on and you're a Christian and you've really made some big mistakes, take it to him right now. He will forgive you. God does not keep score. It's covered under the blood. Let's just begin to thank him for his forgiveness and his love. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me and wipe me clean. Forgive me for ever doubting you. Forgive me for ever letting fear control my thoughts. Forgive me for not letting you be number one in my entire being, spirit, soul, and body. Now make me whole. Make me complete in you. While you're thanking him, by chance, if you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, and you'd like to today, 
Repeat this prayer with me. Just say, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Be my Lord, my Savior, and my King. I give my life to you. If that's your prayer, you've just been born again. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. When the rapture happens, hallelujah, you're going to be with the King. But let's just lift up our hands together. And will you just corporately just say with me, praise the Lord. Let's do it several times together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, if you'd be seated. I understand if anyone has to go. I know it's a holiday weekend. We understand that. But we're going to receive communion together. I've asked a couple of the boys to come up and uh, help with some scriptures here. So if they can come on down. Adam, come on down. And Carson, come on up. Scripture talks about communion. It does not save us, but communion reminds us of what we've been given. That the bread represents the body of our Lord. That the juice represents the blood of his salvation paid for in blood. And as we take that together, we are reminded that he is the mighty one of Israel. So Adam, or I'm sorry, look, turn the wrong way. Adam, go ahead and give us a scripture about the bread. Now, as the ushers come by, guys, go ahead and take yours here. Just hold your portion, and then we'll all pray together. Thank you, Lord. Let's hold our portion up. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that the body of Christ was taken to the cross. It was nailed to that tree. And when he died upon that cross, he paid for every sickness and disease. According to 1 Peter 2.24, by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. So we don't deny sicknesses out there, but we deny its right to stay in our body. And today as we take this bread, we declare, Jesus is my healer. You may all eat together.